Hello, you're on Now Hear This. I'm Melanie Tate. Today we're going to hear stories of people who've really reached beyond their comfort zone. And you could argue that by being part of Now Hear This, these people have already gone beyond their comfort zone. They've stood up in front of an audience and told their true story to a bunch of strangers, which isn't the most comfortable of undertakings at all. But over the next half hour, we're going to live vicariously through them. We're going to go in search of bush tucker and we're going to find ourselves in a slight diplomatic crisis. First, let's head to Melbourne for a story from Vanessa O'Neill. I'm seated in the front passenger seat of my auntie's car, kneeling actually, facing backwards with my arms wrapped around the headrest. My fist is pounding at the window and I'm howling like a banshee. Every now and then I have to open the front passenger door and vomit out of it. And then I slam it shut. My auntie is driving very fast. In amongst that, every now and then I'm also giving her directions because my auntie's never driven from Northcote to the Mercy Hospital in Heidelberg before. Yes, this, ladies and gentlemen, is the story of the first time that I gave birth. You know, one of the great things about being pregnant for the first time is that a lot of people feel the need to tell you terrifying stories about giving birth. Not sure why, but they did. I, I heard terrible stories that people had either experienced or just heard about themselves. But in amongst all those terrifying stories, fortunately I had one friend who said she'd given birth three times already. She said, you know, one of the great things about being in labour is that it's one of the rare experiences in life where you can just step up and tell it like it is. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty cool. Because basically I was brought up to be a nice girl. And the problem is that, in essence, I'm quite a feisty, wild girl. So I've always had a tension throughout my life between the need to express myself quite wildly and passionately and also, on the other hand, the need to be polite. And that's often... Those two things don't often go very well together. Now, I did get the chance to go to drama school, and so I did get a certain amount of opportunities to express my wild side. And I also got the chance to perform in Greek plays and Elizabethan plays and Jacobean plays. And again, they're all good opportunities to release your wild side. But I can honestly say of all the experiences in my life, nothing comes close to labour in terms of really having the chance to fully go to the wild side. <laughs> Now, about a week before I gave birth, I was in a maternity yoga class, and right at the end of the class, we were on all fours, and the teacher said to us, now, ladies, I'd like you to roar like lions. And there were women around me kind of going, rawr, rawr. And I thought, you want me to roar like a lion? Rawr! And the teacher said, ooh, we've got quite a noisy lion in tonight. So about a week later, when I was in my bathtub labouring and the contractions were really kicking in, I was roaring like a lion. And my auntie, who'd been phoned up unexpectedly at four in the morning, was kind of keeping her distance in the kitchen. Now, in amongst the roaring, there was a point where I got to, you know, I got to this 
point where I said, yeah, I'm good to go now. I think I'm ready. So she phoned the birth centre. Now, the thing about giving birth for the first time and wanting to go to a birth centre is they don't like you to come in too early. And perhaps surprisingly for a first birth, mine was my labour was quite fast. From start to finish, it was about four hours, which is pretty intense and pretty wild. So my auntie had phoned the birth centre and in the background they could hear this roaring coming from the bathroom and they said to my auntie, just tell her not to strain her voice. And my auntie passed that on to me and from the bathroom I then bellowed back, tell them I'm a trained actress, I know how to project my voice. (laughs) At which point in time they said, yep, she's ready to come in. (laughs) And so what followed was that fairly exciting car ride um, from my house to the birth centre and my auntie emerged like a rabbit under the headlights and I emerged from the car and immediately went down on all fours in the car park. At which point a hospital attendant came up to me and said, Madam, you, you, go, you can't stay there. You're going to need to come inside to the birth centre. And I said, I cannot walk. You get me a wheelchair. And he said, I'm so sorry. We just don't have any wheelchairs available at the moment. I said, you find me a wheelchair or I will give birth in your car park. <laughs> and you know, amazingly, they found me a wheelchair. <laughs> And as I was wheeled into the birth centre, I felt the most incredible sense of power. It was, it was so liberating to be able to express my wild side and for it to be okay. And then I got into the birth centre and I was met by two amazing midwives who weren't remotely phased by how wild I needed to be. And within about an hour of arriving, I gave birth to my beautiful boy. And now, seven and a half years later, if anyone asks me about my experience of giving birth, I can honestly say it was one of the most joyous and liberating experiences of my life. Thank you. Vanessa O'Neill told that story at the Now Hear This Storytelling Slam in Melbourne, held at the Toffin Town in August earlier this year. Now, we've got storytelling slams planned right up until December in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. So if you're keen to tell a story, check out where the nearest is to you on our website. And our website is abc.net.au Radio National. You're on Now Hear This. Now, I can imagine that you're sitting there listening and thinking, how can I possibly get Now Hear This available to me 24 hours a day? Well, there is a way that you can download this episode and many other episodes straight to your smartphone, carry them with you all the time in your pocket So whenever you need to now hear this story, you just get your earphones out and listen. The way you can do that is by podcasting us. Just go to our website, abc.net.au slash Radio National, follow the links to now hear this, and you'll be directed there on how to podcast us. Today, we're hearing stories from people who've reached outside their comfort zone. Let's head to Central Australia now with Jenny Campbell. Uh, the first time I ate witchetty grubs was actually the last time I ate witchetty grubs because I don't sell them in Woolworths. Um, I was living and working as a 21-year-old at a tourist resort called Yalara at the base of Uluru in Central Australia. 
And uh, I'd befriended a ranger there who one day snuck me onto the Mutijulu community where the Aboriginal people lived, uh, illegally because you needed a permit. But I like doing naughty things, so it snuck in quite well. We hadn't been there five minutes when um, uh, there was a knock at his door and standing there were three amazing-looking Aboriginal elders. And they spoke very seriously to my friend while looking at me over his shoulder. And when they left... Uh, he said to me, look, I'm really sorry, but you can't sleep here the night. I said, why not? He said, because we're not married. It's against custom. I said, well, what am I going to do? It's dark. He said, you're going to have to sleep with the other single women around the campfire, which was probably the most uncomfortable night of my life because, you know, they don't have mattresses or, you know, fleecy line dunas or pillows. In fact, they had nothing. It was quite quite a, an eye-opener. But I, I survived the night and the following day Nellie, one of the female elders, spent an hour and a half teaching me a sentence. But actually the first hour was teaching me that that's what she was trying to teach me because <laughs> it was all sign language, you know. I didn't speak and they didn't speak my language. And, and uh, I finally cottoned on and I learnt this sentence and I was to present it to Nippa, the head elder who had uh, was one of the elders from the previous evening. And I found him and I blurted out this sentence and he stood there looking at me very, very gravely. He was a formidable looking man. He had black skin and black eyes and shock white beard and shock white hair. And I was really nervous, but mainly because I just didn't know what I'd just said to him. <laughs> I had no idea. And finally he smiled and he said, Bala, which is Piranjara for, yeah, righto. <laughs> That's what I assumed, because the next thing you know, we were on the back of two utes, about a dozen of us, 12 Aboriginal people and myself, no language between us, and uh, we were headed out to the bush in search of, as it turned out, witchetty grubs, which is what the sentence meant, may I go with you today on your expedition? And uh, I, I was just amazed watching them as they, they dug at the bottom of these uh, special acacia trees to expose the roots without damaging them so as not to damage the tree. They'd lift the roots out and then slice them down lengthways at a special spot that they, they could tell where the grub was and then prise them open and ease out these plump and juicy creamy coloured witchetty grubs. And then they threaded them onto a stick by piercing the body through through just at the base of the hard head and carried them like a necklace on a stick back to camp. And I was so excited because I'd grown up on a diet of garlic, snails and sheep's brains on Sunday morning. So I really liked unusual food. I was like, how do you eat them? Except I sort of did this. <laughs> and uh, one of the women plucked a witchetty grub off her stick, uh, bit its head off and uh, spat it out and then threw the whole witchetty grub into her mouth. And I thought, oh, you eat them raw. They must taste like honey. So I, I did the same thing. <laughs> I, 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 plucked, I, I did exactly this. followed what she did. And this is approximately my reaction. <laughs> I mean, it was disgusting. It tasted like raw egg yolk and spermatozoa. It was... <laughs> It was really bad, and the whole tribe just erupted into gales of laughter because, as it turns out, I was their entertainment for the day. <laughs> and then finally somebody handed me a witch grub that had actually been cooking in the coals, and it was the most delicious thing I'd ever tasted. It tasted like cooked egg yolk and roasted almonds. I was 
over the moon. I just ate and ate and ate and ate and ate. And then finally Nellie tapped me on the shoulder, handed me a digging stick and pointed to the bush. I assumed she was saying, go and get some more. <laughs> and I did. I, I went off into the bush and I did my own digging and I found seven witchetty grubs, except um, mine were, were really like t- tiny. I think I found the witchetty grub daycare centre or something. <laughs> sort of wiped out the next generation but when I walked back onto the camp with my seven tiny little witchetty grubs threaded onto my very thin stick holding it up like this an amazing thing happened they all just looked for a minute and then this cheer went up and they were clapping and some of the women hugged me and I was just made to feel so good about my achievement because I just don't think they expected a white fellow to be able to find any to be honest and So I think that was also the very first time that I felt truly and warmly, unconditionally welcomed into another group of human beings. Thank you. Jenny Campbell with that story, told earlier this year at the Now Hear This at the Art House Hotel in Melbourne. Now, I'm really pleased to let you know that we're going to be having our first Brisbane Now Hear This in December at the State Library of Queensland. The theme for the night is family photo. And what we're asking you to do is tell a story about a family photo. Now, the story can be about what's happening in the photo, or of course, it can be about a family member or something you remember around that time. What I'd love you to do is get in touch with me, send a little brief outline of your story. And if you you can the family photo you need to send it to nowhearthis at abc.net.au that's nowhearthis at abc.net.au and if you could include your phone number as well that would be wonderful and we'll go about picking six stories for our very first Brisbane Now Hear This at the State Library of Queensland. Now, our final story today was told at the most recent Now Hear This in Canberra which was held at the Belconnen Arts Centre by Shay Hawke. And did you get that? The name of the storyteller is Shay Hawke. Hawke. H-A-W-K-E. And there's a language warning on this story. It was 1986 when my story happened. Bob and Hazel were in the lodge at Yarralumla. And I grew up at the other end of Yarralumla in Yarraslumla, uh, down by the lake and um, in a government house, not the government house. And, <laughs> and I'm a third generation Canberran, so I'm related to half of you. And I, <laughs> and I look like some of you, especially him. Um, but most of all, I really looked like my dad. And uh, everywhere I went around Canberra, uh, people recognised me as being Hawkey's daughter. And um, when I was young and getting sort of trashed on a Friday and a Saturday night, um, someone would always spot me and recognise me and say, aren't you Hawkey's daughter? Are you old enough to be out? And all this sort of thing. So Canberra was quite claustrophobic for me. Um, in 86, my best friend Lisa and I were 24 years old and all our friends were getting married. And we thought that was a bit suburban for us. <laughs> so feeling claustrophobic, um, and, and, and Dad was very well known in Canberra at the time, um, we decided we'd get out of here and go and find the last frontier. Now, the last frontier that we could afford was New Guinea. 
just, <laughs> just up the top of Australia there. Um, so we set off on an Air New Guinea plane. That, it wasn't a very big plane. And uh, we went up and we had these wonderful adventures in the right-hand side of the island that we think of as Papua New Guinea. In those days, the left-hand side of the island was called Irian Jaya and the capital was Jayapura. And you could only get a 72-hour visa to go in there. They weren't big on Western tourists, so that's where we were headed. You know, the back road through the back roads of Southeast Asia, um, all the way to Tibet, we hoped. Anyway, we didn't get to Tibet. Um, so <laughs> we went to um, New Guinea and we had some adventures on the Seapik River in dugout canoes and whatnot. And uh, we got up to Vanamo, which is the last sort of stop before you cross the border into Jaipura. Those of you who've been there um, will know what kind of a border that is. And we were on this little, little Garuda plane, I think it was. It was a Fokker Friendship. And there was the two of us, my best friend Lisa and I, um, and five Qantas aircraft engineers. <laughs> what were they doing on a plane going into Irianjaya? They were going up to the highlands of Irianjaya to fix a crashed Garuda plane. Okay. <laughs> Not a very good safety record. Anyway, we'll revisit that in a minute. Um, so they needed a cook. And we said, well, how about us? Two for the price of one. And they thought that was pretty good odds. And so did we. <laughs> I think we all had more than cooking in mind. Anyway, we, um, we said we'd meet up with them the next day and um, work out the plan and do the stuff with immigration and whatnot. But we arrived at the airport, a little shack of a thing it was really, in Jayapur in those days, and there was the customs bloke at the desk and he was flanked by these two fairly Papuan-looking women. Uh, but he was a very serious, uh, dressed as a, as a Muslim man, and he took our passports off us and had a good look at them and us, you know, made sure the picture fitted the person, Hawke, Yarralumla, Canberra, Australia, and, um, and gave them back to us and said, enjoy your stay. And as we were walking off, he said, how's your father? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, my father's fine, but what I was thinking is I've just left Australia to get away from him. <laughs> uh, the truth is that Dad did work for the government and um, border control was part of his brief. And maybe he'd been to Jayapura, I don't know. Maybe they remembered him. And I do look like him, so, you know. Um, anyway, we went down to the... Oh, no, went to get the baggage, and these two Papuan women escorted us to get our baggage, our backpacks, and they were very chatty and chirpy and happy noonish and looky mewish, and, um, you know, we'd picked up a bit of pidgin English in Papua New Guinea, and they were very friendly and they were very touchy-feely, you know, a little bit too touchy-feely for me um, at the time. And um, they wanted to, they were talking about being pen pals and all this sort of thing. And um, it's like, yeah, right, whatever. Um, we weren't very culturally educated yet, Lisa and I. Anyway, we went down to the bank and uh, changed money. And the guy at the bank, once again, a very traditionally dressed Muslim older man, and handed over the passport, because you've got to hand your passport over in a foreign country every time you do anything. And, you know, same thing, looked at the passport, looked at me and said, how's your father? <laughs> so by this time I'm thinking this is a, a quaint Muslim custom. Uh, <laughs> asking after my father. Um, and also maybe it was because we were blonde, blue-eyed and you know, pretty drop-dead gorgeous when I look back at the photos now. It was a long time ago. 
Um, and, you know, maybe it wasn't very customary for people like us to visit that country. It wasn't, in fact. We were a bit of an enigma. Anyway, um, we had a 72-hour visa, so we wanted to see as much as we could before we organised the, the trip up to the highlands with the aircraft engineers. We met up with them the next day, and they said, the deal's off. Uh, well, we were all crestfallen. Um, they said the immigration won't uh, pass it, you can't come, and not only that, they're sending us home. So we thought, this is a bit weird, they're sending them home and they're not going to let us cook for them and do whatever else we had in mind. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all a bit crestfallen and we never saw them again. Anyway, we, we, we went on the local bus and had a look at Jaipur and 70 hours later we rocked up to the airport to make our forward journey on through Sulawesi, through the back blocks of Indonesia. And um, we were a bit early and the woman at the, at the customs desk, at the, not the, the check-in desk, um, said, you're too early, the flight's not open, take a seat, I'll call you when it's time. So we took a seat and as we were sitting there, we watched the, the queue grow and disappear. They all went into another room, probably the departure lounge. Um, and we thought we'd better go and check in with her and... Um, we said, oh, well, here we are, you know, we've come to check in. And she said, oh, look, I'm sorry, the flight's full. <laughs> I was like, well, what do you mean? We got here early. You told us to sit down and now you're saying the flight's full. Come on, that's not how we do things in Australia. And um, she said, no, no, I'm done. You know, keep your shirt on. You know, the flight's full and I'm sorry about that, madam, and you'll just have to catch the next one. Oh, okay, well, when's the next one? In 72 hours. <laughs> The catch is that our visa runs out in half an hour. Oh, no. Our visa runs out in half an hour, and she said, well, if you overstay your visa, you have to go to jail. And with that, she called the military police over, <laughs> fully uniformed men, AK-47s, took us into a back room where, where we were joined by two other very official-looking people. The Papuan women that we met on day one were in a room through a window over there somewhere, sort of smiling at us, <laughs> not... And these guys, they're asking us, you know, who are you? Well, we're Shay and Lisa, and what are you doing here? Having a mad adventure. Who sent you? We did. What, do you, what does your father do? He's a public servant. Yeah. What else does he do? Um, he's a public servant. You know, what are you, why are you asking all these scary questions? What, is, what did you want to go to the Highlands for with the Qantas engineers? To cook for them. What else did you want to do? <laughs> to cook for them. <laughs> Anyway, I started to shit myself. I was pretty bloody worked up and the, the local food was getting to me and I said, look, I, I need to go to the toilet and I was really worried that they got onto Interpol and found out about all my civil disobedience in the peace movement in the 80s and whatnot. I went to the toilet. They called in one of the Papuan women from the room next door. She escorted me to the toilet. She threw me into the cubicle, shut the door, and I thought, yeah, I knew she was friendly. And um, she said... Um, she handed me a piece of paper and she said, read this, then swallow it. And I read it and what it said was, please tell your father, Bob Hawke, that genocide is happening in our highlands and we need his help. <laughs> so I swallowed that and I thought, oh shit, they think that I'm their saviours. Oh, that explains why everybody's asking after my father. <laughs> the Indonesian government thinks I'm spying for him. Um, Okay, what would a Prime Minister's daughter do? She'd march back into that room with all the sense of entitlement she could muster, and that's what I did. I shot Lisa half a wink, and I said to this bloke, hands on the hips sort of thing, my father, Mr Hawke, isn't going to be very happy 
when he finds out how you've treated us, there's a plane on that tarmac and we want to be on it. And Bob's your uncle. They let us go. <laughs> Thank you. Shay Hawke with that story. Thank you for joining me today on Now Hear This. I hope you've enjoyed the stories you've heard. And if you're craving a daily dose of stories, our website has plenty to keep you going, which is abc.net.au slash radionational. And our SoundCloud has even more. And the SoundCloud is soundcloud.com slash nowhearthisstories. Today's stories were recorded by Richard Gervin, Simon Branthwaite and Andrea Ho and engineered by Martin Peralta. Don't forget, if you're in Brisbane, get in touch if you'd like to tell your family photo story by emailing nowhearthis at abc.net.au. I'm Melanie Tate. I hope you have a lovely week and, more importantly, get a story or two out of it. Thank you.